Excellent. I already see some people jumping into the Zoom chat. So Julie Fogarty first on the list, because uh, what else are you going to do on a frigid Chicago evening, but sit around with a young lady by the fire and drink wine and learn wine stories? Uh, Crilly Butler is in the house. Doug Rutherford, Jan Kiefer, Kay Jurica, Leah Dunn, Monique Data, Susan Jensen. Many of you, I believe, are Trotter 116 loyalists. Uh, Barbie Heffernan, I, it's a name I know very well. Debbie Long, Doug Rutherford, I said hello twice now, Doug. Uh, Hans and Caitlin Greasy, Jan Kiefer, uh, Peter Glick. Peter, I enjoyed a great conversation with your brother. Uh, thanks for uh, that referral and that opportunity. Hopefully we can help. I think it was uh, going to be really good. Uh, a couple more folks, uh, we're going to give them a minute to come in. And for those of you just joining us for the first time, uh, welcome. Jeff and Jane Greasy are in the house. Jeff and Jane are in Barrington, Illinois. And Jeff and Jane, and I say this every single week because until they prove me wrong, they have been on all 41 previous sips and this is their 42nd episode. So they are clearly bored out of their skull in Barrington with nothing to do except watch wine people talk. Uh, but they also have a bottle of the Trotter 116. And so what I want to do is for, for the new folks, uh, my name is Martin Cody, co-founder of Cellar Angels. And Cellar Angels is a different kind of wine company. Uh, we are a direct-to-consumer wine company that we curate wines only from Napa and Sonoma. Uh, very limited production, often family-run sole proprietors like the one we have this evening. And it's, it's really important to us because we are, we are digital storytellers and every wine has a story. Some of them are extremely worthwhile to tell. Some of them are not so worthwhile to tell. Uh, and so we'll let Walgreens tell those stories because those wines are at the end cap. Um, the other thing I want to let people know is that we don't have customers, we have supporters. Uh, everyone that is involved in Cellar Angels is part of the mission and the mission is really to change the world with wine. So three wine clubs that we have, you can go to the Cellar Angels Marketplace and I'll show you how people are, are drinking Stephanie's wine in advance because they've purchased it via the SIP kit. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about a little story because this story actually goes back to the 1960s. Now, I was not born yet, except in 1966, but the 60s were essentially revolutionary for, the, uh, for wine. The two most famous bobs in wine really got started in the 60s. Uh, the first one is, of course, um, Bob Parker Jr. Uh, Robert Parker Jr. actually came home from France in 1968, blown away by what he experienced there in terms of food and wine. But if you go back further, you go back to 1963 when a young Robert Mondavi also spent about four or five months in France and could not believe what he was experiencing with food and wine. But like all great things or all great successes, there's usually a woman behind the scenes. And so if you go back to 1962, a young lady decided to write a book based upon the culinary delights that she had experienced in France. And of course, I'm speaking of the mastery of the art of French cooking and Julia Child. Julia Child essentially lit the fire that was the fine wine and food revolution that then came to America. 1963, she started her tel own television program. Most of us knew that television program because, because it became a parody on Saturday Night Live with Dan Aykroyd impersonating Julia Child uh, and severing arteries and bleeding all over the set on purpose. But it was those three individuals, Parker, Mandavi, 
and Julia Child that really set America on its pace. And I like to focus on the women because they're often unsung heroes. And Julia Child's name is synonymous with the art of cooking, but she was really the one that ushered in a lot of the wine experience in the United States. And just like in Napa Valley, just like this evening, there is a woman behind a pioneering movement of crafting fantastic wine. And it gives me an incredible pleasure to introduce to you our friend, uh, Cellar Angels feature and tonight's guest for SIP episode 41, Stephanie Drotter Zachariah. Cheers. Cheers. And, and just so everyone, everyone uh, that is not a screensaver. Stephanie has a live fire behind her. <laughs> right? I also have a vineyard with a sunset, very similar to yours. Uh, I would imagine you do have a vineyard with a sunset very similar to mine. That is outstanding. I also want to raise a glass to a couple of folks on the SIP tonight who I know are going through some clinical issues, some health issues. Good wine is here for you. We are here for you. The angels are sending you positive, good vibes, uh, good recovery and uh, speedy recovery soon. So cheers to that. And Stephanie, you mentioned that you do have a vineyard behind you. Should we, should we go on a vineyard tour? Yes, let's do. Okay, we're going to go on a vineyard tour. Check this out. This is better than Google Earth. It's Stephanie Earth. <laughs> Yes. Well, I'm at Tedeschi Family Winery, which is um, a fabulous family winery in Calistoga, and they let me make my Trotter 116 wine here. So I'm taking you out to their Cabernet um, vineyard, and um, their family's been here since 1919. I see some bamboo. Yes, we have five different varieties of bamboo here. Their five, more than I knew. five more than I knew existed. Right. Their grandfather um, planted these walnut trees and he grafted black walnut rootstock with English walnut tops. Ooh. I'm pointing to that one over there. Isn't that no, awesome? That's good. Yeah. And black walnut is hard. Yeah. That is some hard wood. But we get um, the English walnuts. And uh, I'll just say that's not our house over there. It just sold <laughs> for uh, 4.2 million. And um, I almost bought it, but it has a pool. Jeff, Gre <laughs> Jeff Greasy, you guys did not tell me you bought a house out there. That Congratulations. So, so you're walking into the Cabernet Vines. Yep. Let's see. Hello, Jim Brubaker from Colorado. Okay. And Lori Scott, not from Colorado, but hello, Lori. Hi, Lori Scott. All right, so, so we are uh, January 22nd, and this is what the vineyard looks like today. What, what's happening right now as it relates to the growing season? Well, this is just the beginning. So um, we've just pruned the vines back. See all the, the canes? Oh, yeah. And uh, this is our cover crop, which is thriving. It's going to go um, another month or so. We actually go through our vineyard. We make about seven passes a year through our vineyards, and we just finished pruning which is the beginning. Can you see this guy here? This is a, yep. a spur. We just cut that back and we're going to allow two new canes to grow off of this guy. Um, and our goal is three to five bottles of wine per vine. Hmm. And we'll get that with one cluster, maybe two clusters per cane. So these are going to start growing. It'll be really vigorous um, over the next uh, few months to August. And um, uh, around August, we'll have an eight foot high wall of leaves uh, forming this great canopy. And um, let's see, uh, Let me ask they'll you, start forming. On those yeah. Cabernet vines right there, they look about, I mean, they look fairly old. Are they, you know, 18, 20 years of age or how old are they? 
Emil Tedeschi um, grew up on this property. He's third generation. And he ran off to Hawaii and started Tedeschi Vineyards in Maui, which is still there and wildly successful. But he came home in 91 and planted this vineyard. And now his two sons run this winery. And they have a, enough room to let me make a little wine in the corner. Oh, that is awesome. And I think the, I'm speaking on behalf of the angels. But when you say there's a Tedeschi Vineyard in Hawaii, the first two words that come to my mind are road trip. Indeed, it's awesome. Absolutely <laughs> worth it. Absolutely worth it. Look at that. Um, call it Cabernet Point. Let's see. There's my sunset. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. So we're looking at uh, 29 year old vines or 30 year old vines now yeah. since we just turned the corner. So 30 years of age. Brian, Marcella, how are you doing this evening, sir? Good to hear. Good to see you. So you will go running through that vineyard with seven times and 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 so is it seven times to just keep down the ground cover or is it seven times to nope, just- Seven different reasons. So uh, we did one time to prune the canes back. Um, we did another time to, uh, we'll, we'll come back through to mow the cover crop down. Then we'll come through to uh, remove suckering. And, uh, and then we'll come through again to train canes up into the, the, the trellis system, right? And- uh -huh. uh, I have lost count, but then we'll go through and we'll uh, maybe uh, thin the crop if we need to, if too many clusters are coming up on each cane. Um, and then we'll go through to harvest. Uh, and wow. then we'll go through again to plant the next year's cover crop when the vines go dormant. When does the uh, cover crop, is it year round or does it lay we dormant plant it at all? every year. Okay. Yeah, it's a, a recipe of like sweet pea, fava beans, wheatgrass. And for visitors, we plant uh, wildflowers in there. Ah, uh, so, nice. Yeah. And, and the purpose, and I'm asking this question because it has always fascinated me how you will actually talk to one winery and they till the cover crop in very early on and they just have dirt. And then you talk to another winery, you know, 20 yards up the road and they have a cover crop of XYZ plants. And so everyone has their own different philosophy yeah. on it. But, but tell me the purpose of, of the cover crop. The purpose of the cover crop is to add nitrogen and other nutrients back into the soil. Uh, the roots uh, mine down and kind of hold the topsoil during the rainy season as well. So that's helpful. The wheatgrass does that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it, basically the recipe will change depending on what the vineyard needs. The vineyard will tell Mario Tedeschi what it needs and he'll adjust it. So same with me. So I might add certain wildflowers or, or uh, certain other plants to my cover crops in my Cabernet vineyards. Right, because you're just listening and paying attention to what the vineyard is looking for, what the vineyard needs right. during the you growing can tell season. tell the length of the nodes, the health of the leaves, the tendrils, the, all those things will tell you. That yep. is awesome, very so cool. In my vineyards, we, and especially the one we're drinking tonight is all organic and never even sees a tractor. So I don't plow down or till. I let the weeds just fall to the earth and uh, they mulch out and become the topsoil all naturally. So I don't ever disturb the soil like that. So it's completely cyclical, very regenerative, and the nutrients come right from the plant back into the earth. Exactly. So um, the wine that we're drinking tonight is from Oak Canyon Ranch. Uh, so when I pick those grapes, do you guys want to see the crush pad real quick? Do we? Do you? Okay. Of course. Well, so, well, the grapes come here to the crush pad. We pick in these little boxes here, the little yellow boxes. We call those FYBs for yellow box. You can <laughs> insert any F word you choose. 
Uh huh. I was going to say. So we load the the clusters uh, into this hopper up here, and they'll get moved through this cylinder. And I'll open it in a second. But it's got this cylinder inside that has holes in it. And inside the cylinder are these paddles that rotate rapidly and it moves the clusters of grapes through the cylinder. And as it does that, it rips the grapes away from the rachis and they fly through the holes and then they drop out the belly. And when they drop out the belly, they'll drop into a big bin. See it? Can you see that? Yep, perfect. Yep, and it'll look like a big bucket full of blueberries. And uh, you know, the juice of almost every red grape is clear. So we're gonna um, ferment with the skin to get color and tannin. And then twice a day, I take this guy, which looks like a big potato masher, and I'll manually punch the skins down. We call it punching down the cap because the skins will rise to the top. So within two to four weeks, we'll have wine. All that sugar and the sweet grapes will ferment into alcohol. And, uh, and then I'll press it out and put it into barrels. Very nice. And, and the barrel program, how do you decide on what barrels you want to pick and, and the influence that you want to try to impart on the wine? Little or, or a lot? Toast? No toast? Tell me about that. Well, I use uh, quintessence French barrels. Uh, I like the flavors it imparts. And um, so I use 50-50. I really want the vineyard and the grapes to be the meat of the dish. And then I use barrels only as my spice rack. So a lot of New World winemaking neighbors, they want to make the oak, uh, a main flavor component of the wine. I just want it to enhance my vineyard because my vineyards, my wines are vi single vineyard, uh, single varietal. So I don't blend vineyards. I don't blend varietals. Um, Jeff Greasy has said, uh, first of all, Monique, you said yes. And I'm guessing Monique, that was an answer to Stephanie's question. Do you want to see uh, the, the <laughs> you know, the process? Uh, okay, good. She said yes again, because I also heard you had your hand up and the studio is telling me Monique has a question, but I just want to make certain that you didn't have a question. Uh, Jeff and Jane Greasy are commenting that the Cabernet is incredible, very delicious, drinking so beautifully right now, so smooth, very low tannins, low acid, and like you said, wonderfully juicy. Awesome. Uh, uh, tannins aren't necessarily low though. They're just, um, they're fine grain tannins. Uh, because I don't use, I use only 50% new oak. So it has as much cellar potential and longevity as uh, big grippy tannins. They're just well masked. So it makes it easier to drink a little earlier. Uh, that is uh, good because if anybody's like me, I don't have a lot of patience to age wine 15 to 20 years. So nor do I have the storage facility. Now Jeff does, and I know Nelson and Liz do. Uh, I, I, I do not. But one of the things I people ask, well, how are people drinking Stephanie's wines right now as we're talking to her? And other than Stephanie's uh, folks tonight, Lori, I would imagine you are quite familiar with Stephanie and you may have some in your cellar. Uh, for those folks that have purchased a sip kit, you got a bottle of Stephanie's wine in your sip kit. And to get a sip kit, you simply go to the Cellar Angels website, you go to the shop, area and you would go shop wine all and then you can see right here is the sip virtual tasting kit so if you are new this is where you want to hang out and grab this because it will arrive and you will have the next four or five friday wines all at your disposal so every single guest that we have for the next four fridays you will have this is stephanie's wine right here that we're drinking this evening or that i am some of you I, I heard are drinking the 2015. Some are drinking uh, other wines as well, which is of hers, which is great. And then next week we have Peter Spann from Spann Vineyards uh, on the Mayakema side uh, in Sonoma.
but this is the very easy way to get this. And I encourage you to come and visit the Seller Angels website because uh, the SIP kit is just your, your quick entree to the next four Fridays to have a, a sit down and have the winemaker in your living room, your family room, your back patio, uh, real easy. So let's talk about Stephanie Trotter, Zechariah 116. Uh, if there's any Heffernans on, and I thought I heard Barbie Heffernan was on earlier, who knows all about Heffernans that have 11. Uh, she's married into the family. So 11 is a, basically your mom had 11. They have 16. So your mom's a quitter is what I'm really getting at. Cause 11 is just, just quitting. Uh, but how does someone, how does someone, where are you in the, in the chain of 16? I'm number 15 out of 16. And so you're uh, number 15. Yeah. I grew up in Philadelphia. My dad was a soft pretzel baker. And uh, I'm the youngest of the 16. Um, my parents weren't big readers, which is fine with me. Right. <laughs> you know, being number 15. All right, well, so that's, um, that actually, I'm gonna launch a poll question because you just reminded me of something. So we have three poll questions this evening. And uh, the first one, because uh, John Heffernan is on, and, and John and Barbie, John is number four of 11. So a little bit of reverse because you're number 15 of 16. So John was one of the earlier ones. Uh, and in case you're wondering, I'd be curious the religious affiliations between you, Stephanie. I know John's family was devout Catholic, judging by the names of their children because there was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> nice. And they were all lawbreakers. So, um, <laughs> which I hold in the highest of esteem. So I'm curious out of being the 15th or 16th person, everyone get your, your answers ready. How old were you before you actually had a brand new article of clothing that wasn't a hand-me-down? And you can't answer. All right. So, and John, I'd be curious how old, but, well, John was, John got a lot of uh, clothes because he was the fourth of 11. Uh, ooh, a lot of answers. 15, 16, we're at 79%. Gonna give this about 10 more seconds. How funny. Uh, all right, five, four, three, two, one. The answers are all over the place. Now being 15 out of 16 children, I, first of all, I can't even imagine the house you were in. I can't imagine uh, ever getting a bathroom I mean, I grew up with eight and eight seemed like a lot. And, yes. and that's, that's half as much as you have. Right. The most we ever had was 13 in the house. So my older siblings have kids older than me. So they were out and married. Okay. Um, so, so what is the correct answer here? How old were you when you got your first genuinely new article of clothing? I think I was probably about 16 or maybe just about to move out of the house somewhere in there. All right. So you're going to have to, because there's people that have a lot of money right in on this. So is it 16 <laughs> or freshman in college? There's a lot of paramutual wagering that goes on in this site, Stephanie. Don't tell anyone. Uh, I'm going to say freshman in college. Freshman in college. We'll take question number one. I was wearing bell bottoms all through high school. Everybody else had straight legs. Yeah. Uh, that is awesome. Um, just so everyone else can see. Here's the answers. So those of you, <laughs> Chad and Debbie, yes to Catholics. Yeah, definitely. They only read the cover to the rhythm method. That's exactly right. Very well stated. 
So for those of you that have freshmen in college, you can let it ride or you can take your winnings and sit back and relax. Uh, let me continue with or learn a little bit more about the story because you're in Philly. When did you decide that you wanted to go west? How did you happen to decide upon a career in winemaking and or wine production? Oh, well, it, it didn't actually, it, it decided me. I, um, when I turned 18, I was on my way to Alaska uh, from Philadelphia. Why? Uh, it was as far as I could go without having to learn a new language, being the youngest of 16. So the home life was that enjoyable? <laughs> well, you know, being the youngest, I was spoiled and, and um, tortured at the same time. <laughs> um, You're on your way to Alaska at 18. That's impressive. Yep. And I ran out of money here, Sonoma County. And uh, I met my husband uh, 26 years ago, and he lived here in Calistoga. And then I was married. And so I started having to drink wine. And so you know, I needed to pay off my wine bill, started working in a winery. And uh, I got bit. Got bit. So uh, did you take any parental advice on children and the talk about what to do and not to do with the rhythm method? <laughs> I, I apparently did. I have one son who I adopted. <laughs> so, you know, oh, that's awesome. Certainly I figured it out. Good. And so I, I think it's funny, too, because you mentioned that you got bit because you needed to get a wine job to pay for the wine bills. Yeah. And and it, it's not too dissimilar from the story that uh, Denise and I have where we were in just way too many wine clubs at one point in time. I think we were in 10 or 11 different wine clubs. And so we just decided to open up a retail store because why not get it at a cost or below cost uh, mm -hmm. versus all of that. So yeah, we had to pay our wine bill and you get tired of you know killing the UPS guy with, with case deliveries. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so what year, What this was 1990, what year, two, three? 94 is when I, I landed over here in Napa. I was, I originally landed in Sonoma County and I was there uh, since 85. And then I met my husband and we moved here to Calistoga or I moved here with him in uh, 94. Um, I got into the wine business in 97 and um, worked my way up to being cellar master at a winery and ultimately, I got another job as an apprentice winemaker at Costa Nuestra. And then I uh, went to David Fulton. And that's where they uh, let me pick their Cabernet and make my first vintage in 2011. Wow. Yep. And who, who actually kind of shepherded you and who guided you? And, and who do you look up to from a mentoring standpoint that... When you look back now, you know, 2021 and your first vintage was 10 years ago, but you obviously learned a ton from 1997 to 2011. Who were some of the names that, that you just, you wouldn't be here today or be able to produce this type of bottle and this fantastic wine without them? Oh, definitely. Alan Price. He's, um, he's in a, a, his late seventies. He, he's fourth generation Napa. He's got red wine in his veins. And uh, he definitely held my hand. He's, he's actually the first one that said, you know, you know how to do this. You should just do this. Uh, and then it was the folks at, at David Fulton that gave me the, the vineyard to start with. And they sponsored it. They sponsored it at first. So um, I didn't need the big investment. I mean, I'm a bootstrap girl. I don't have a trust fund. And, uh, you know, it's with all these helping hands that I was able to um, make wine. And so... My production is small. I only do about 130 cases a year. It's only direct to consumer. 
And um, I generally work with only two vineyards that are um, vineyard designated varietal specific. So yeah, and they are there to call the vineyards off the beaten path. At least the one I'm going to show a little bit later on uh, is an understatement because the only way you're going to find this vineyard, in my opinion, is if you are lost or you're robbing the house. It's the only way because it is so tucked away. It's not even funny. Uh, Jeff has a question, Greasy, with regards to you mentioned the the hidden uh, tannins or fine tannins, uh-huh. and and. And I like that description as, as fine grain tannins, because oftentimes they're, I don't know what the opposite of fine grain tannin is, is coarse grain tannins, or, big, but they're, big, t- big they're tight and they're, they're gripping. And so how do you do that? Is that oak regimen or, or how do you get the fine grain tannin? Then you're going to start doing it. <laughs> it's actually well played. <laughs> Jeff, well, she's not going to tell you, so you're going to have to start a winery yeah, somewhere. Sorry. No, I use, I use, um, I, I pick my grapes a little bit earlier. So they're just a little less uh, mature than a lot of my neighbors. And um, it's, it's my recipe of barrels. I use 50% new and uh, the French oak is a fine grain um, wood and it's, it's just more subtle. And so 50% new and 50% uh, neutral or older barrels. And so I, I, you know, integrate the oak more gently. And I think that's the biggest, that's the, the big grippy tannins for me comes from all brand new oak. Agreed. Or, uh, or Mount Veter. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sometimes. The, well, I think the fine grain is actually an apt description, but I also want to go back to, this is one of the things we love about the wine industry is, is how inclusive it is. And, and granted, I, I know there's, there's, exclusive individuals in the wine industry. But for the most part, uh, there are people that shepherd a younger generation that's eager and willing to learn along. And you mentioned two of them. And I'm curious, the trepidation that you had, you know, when David Fulton said, hey, you should be making wine or, or forced you to make wine. Did you want to do it? Did you, or were you like, yeah, a little, this is a little oh, scary. Yeah. No, I've been an apprentice winemaker for 10 years. And, uh, and then I moved over to David Fulton and, um, they had a pretty good program and Alan Price uh, was their winemaker um, uh, as a consultant. And so I was doing the hands-on work in the cellar for him and their Cabernet Vineyard came up in 2011. It was, it was such a horrible vintage. I mean, it, so many grapes were left in, in the field because there were stuck tractors and so much rain and mold. It was, it was, it was horrible. Um, but there was this small little patch of Cabernet that nobody wanted. Um, and uh, they said, well, if you want to give your, give it, give it a, a try, you can have that little vineyard. And um, they're just wonderful people. And um, they supported me and um, I picked it. And my friends, we call ourselves Sisters of Divine for that first year. Crilly has been there every year since then, um, helping Crilly, me pick. Crilly, I want to meet you, lady. You are a rock star. So um, he, yeah, Curly, he's uh, he's a pretty awesome guy, but he's he's friends with them too. Actually, that's where I met him. Anyway, um, all my friends, we we sorted the grapes, and uh, we literally had to individually um, remove grapes. So like this grape, yes, this grape, no. It took us ten hours to sort the vineyard by hand, and I got enough grapes for two barrels, and it got double golds at international competitions. Oh, just, I mean, that's incredible. It's, 
And I, most people that are familiar with Cellar Angels or, you know, had a subscription over the years to Wine Spectator or any of the other trade rags, the 2011 vintage was about as maligned a vintage in the press as vintage could be. And were you at all thinking, granted, 10 years as an apprentice winemaker, yet they said, hey, if you want a shot, here's a little, uh, little block of Cabernet. <laughs> were you thinking in the back of your head going, oh, great, hardest vintage in 50 years. No one wants the grapes. And yet now here's my shot to make Cabernet. No, I'm one of 16 kids. I was like, woo, <laughs> like if I, I was so optimistic. If it's good, it's going to be great. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're familiar with hand-me-downs. So this was like hand-me-down. We're not going to take them. I, you know, the, the universe was kind. I knew it would be. And it was, now, it was so good. And, and that's awesome. And Curly, I mistakenly said young lady, uh, sir, my apologies. I will make that up to you because uh, we have your email address and I will send you something from my mistake. Uh, it won't be anything of value, but I'll just send you something. So don't get your hopes up. Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in, you said 130 cases. Any desire to go beyond 130 cases? Not at all. And why I'm, not? I, I'm in the perfect spot. I get to make wines I like to drink that I can take pride in. I'm not making them uh, to suit a writer's palate or I'm not making them to where anybody else wants to sell them. Like I don't need to be you, you at Cellar Angels with your charitable component are, are a beautiful fit, but I don't, no one else sells my wine. It's direct to the people um, I know and, and have met other wine lovers. And um, I, and I wouldn't be able to do that if I got bigger, I would, I would need staff and I would need tasting room people representing the wine and that kind of thing. And right now it's very much me. I'm, I'm sharing with you my art and uh, I, I'm grateful to do that. Now that's, that's actually a, a great, great commentary and great explanation because what you have is a project of love and passion. Then if you grow, in my opinion, and you got to be 250 cases, 500 cases, like you said, you'd have staff, you'd have schedules, you'd have work. That sounds like work. That, that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like love and passion. No. Uh, speaking of art and you producing art, tell me about the label, because here is the uh -huh. wine we're drinking this evening, and it is fantastic and beautiful. It is a work of art. It is a work of art. It is an original work of art uh, done by Janine Luke. She's really a fun, uh, she used to, her kids went to school with the Tedeschi's kids and she was in here. She had just relocated herself here from Utah. She's, she was Mormon and had five kids that had all grown up. And she said, I'm done with that and left and moved to Napa to take up painting and, uh, and drinking wine. So um, we had a little wine together and she said she would love to paint something for the label. We talked about this being Ben's blend and unique um, because it's the same vineyard. It's the same varietal. It's just one barrel from the two um, vintages. And um, so my husband's a fisherman and she just was inspired. I don't know how many bottles she drank to be inspired. but <laughs> she, yeah. She'll never tell. She'll never tell. But she's a fabulous woman. She comes and teaches painting classes here and things like that. Oh, that's awesome. And who's Ben? Ben's my husband. Okay, because that ben. was a question. That was a question. Uh, ben is the husband. It actually brings me up to another poll question. So let me uh, go to question number two. 
for those of you that had the college question correct, uh, you get a chance. And for those of you that didn't, you get a chance to actually win some of your money back. So at 130 cases, as Stephanie mentioned, her wine is actually always sold out. So we're thrilled to have some of it on Cellar Angels. But where is the farthest distance someone has photographed, been photographed enjoying one of her Cabernets? Colorado, Maine, London, Korea, Japan. The answer is not always C. Sorry, whoever just picked London. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give this 15 more seconds. Is uh, and while I'm waiting for the group to to answer, hey, so I might I might suggest that it would be the most recent far away because some of those other ones are applicable. Okay, it has been photographed in, um, so I don't want to mess most, it up for anybody. The most recent far away. Uh, that brings me to another point where I we may have to include a field next week for write-in candidates. Um, but is, is making wine for yourself, your full-time gig, or are you still doing a wine hustle, you know, at various places? Oh gosh, no, I don't hustle anywhere anymore. I, but I work here at Tedeschi three days a week. Um, they're as their director of sales. And, um, I, I really, I just kind of come in and play around and sip wine and, um, and then I get to work on my own wine in, you know, intermittently and, um, Tedeschi has a similar program to where they're hundred percent direct to consumer, but they make 2000 cases. So it definitely requires a little more effort to stay in touch with their customers and family. It, it yeah. sounds very reminiscent to a day in the life at Cellar Angels offices. We just come in, play around and drink wine. I mean, I love how we've been able to make a business out of that. Isn't it awesome? I'm so lucky. I work with an amazing group of 20 somethings and, um, it's, it's a ton of fun. Uh, I like so I to do both, you know, I get so, my own gig and, and then I get to work with them. And that's the best of both worlds. That's fantastic. So Stephanie had mentioned that the most recent far away picture, because I'm obviously my guess is Colorado, Maine and London are regulars. So who, who sent you the most recent far away picture and where was it from? The most recent was Korea, but I've been, my wine's been to Japan several times uh, with Krilly as one of them. One of the carriers. That is um, fantastic. I mean, that's amazing. I love people that take wine internationally with them. Um, there, there's just something special. Krilly, you and I are going to have a drink one day. I promise you that. <laughs> uh, all right. So let me actually talk to people about or to where this vineyard is. And before I do that, uh, since you are so small from a production standpoint, it's not as if someone can drive up to your winery and taste wine with you. So how, when, when all of this travel is lifted or restrictions are lifted and we can actually come and hang out with you, how do people taste your wine with you when they're in the Valley? Oh, you just simply reach out to me directly and I'll meet up with you for dinner somewhere, or I'll meet you at the park. I'll meet you wherever's comfortable and I'll bring some wine and we'll laugh and, and sip and maybe eat. And, um, I I've poured wine in, uh, you know, uh, at local B and B's in their garden. Um, you know, it's pretty non-committal, pretty easy going, but you just reach out to me directly and I'm more than happy to come and share. I've poured at B and B's and, or, uh, air like VRBOs with the groups of people in their homes and, 
things like that. So basically get a hold of Stephanie in advance. Uh, let her know when you're going to be in the Valley and you guys will, will hook up and you'll be drinking wine. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's not rocket science. I, I like that. And Michael DeSarno drank the wine in Korea. Oh, his wife, G. Outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, and Jan, thank you for the compliment on the glasses. Um, I, are you talking about these glasses or these glasses? Just, they might be new. I don't really get new glasses. I get new magnification of cheaters. So uh, I'm now up to a, a two, I think. Uh, let's actually, we're talking about this vineyard and, and how small it is. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, you know, 37 minutes into the episode that no one is chanting for Google Earth. Uh, but we are definitely going to go to Google Earth right there. <laughs> there we go. Uh, you, it starts off, Stephanie, it starts off as like a low rumble. Picture Gladiator, you know, uh, and you just hear the, the crowd starts going Google Earth and people just get crazy for Google Earth. So uh, we are going to show you this vineyard. I hope. There we go. So. This to me uh, is, is great because I love focusing on wine region because it is our playground at Cellar Angels. And I don't know why Chandra's in there, uh, but I apologize for that. So our playground is Napa and Sonoma. It's, it's where we focus. Uh, this is our wine region, Sonoma, very large county, Napa, 30 miles wide or 30 miles long, five miles wide at its widest point, over a thousand commercially licensed wineries. These two counties combined have 17 of 33 known soil types in the world, uh, maritime influences on the west, south, and within. So you've got the San Pablo Bay, you have the Pacific, you've got the Russian River Valley, the Napa River, you've got so much geological happenings here that it'd be, it's amazing place to craft and produce wine. Uh, but one of the things that uh, Stephanie has the privilege of doing and skill at doing is finding great little vineyard blocks. So if you're a fan of golf, check out this little postage stamp vineyard. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's this little gorgeous vineyard uh, on this rolling hill, very steep hillside right here on the side of the hill. A lot of the best <laughs> wines from Bordeaux, a lot of the best wines in the world, Rioja, South America, uh, you know, areas of Germany, they're all hillside wines. And, and I'd be curious how you found this vineyard and, and actually, you know, tell me about it or tell us about it. Why is it special? Well, uh, it's my first vineyard outside of David Fulton. And um, it's, I, I was, I was looking for a, uh, more. I was looking for another vineyard. And I, I reached out to somebody in a, a wine country classified ad and they were like, oh dear, no, we can't help you. You're way too small of a request. Because uh, I only wanted a ton or, <clears throat> or maybe two of grapes. And she said, but you know, I have a, a friend. And uh, so it's owned by a woman. And um, it's run, the vineyard is run by a woman named Daphne Amory. And she actually teaches it at Harvard Business School on how to convert all agricultural crops back to organic. And this was a personal project of hers. And she converted the wine, the vineyard back to being all organic. Like I was saying earlier, when I was out in the vineyard, 
Um, we plant our cover crop and we just let it fall to the earth and, and create the next layer of soil, you know, holding in the moisture through the summer months. Um, and so I met Daphne and Daphne introduced me to Jessica who owns the vineyard. And then I started making wine with it in 2014. That is awesome. And it's, it's interesting too, because this is in Coombsville mm -hmm. and in Coombsville for everyone knows we're big fans of Coombsville. Uh, it's the newest AVA in Napa. And it is literally just to give you an idea of how close this is to downtown Napa. Take a look at this little shot. So just for fun, that huge vineyard next to my little Cabernet vineyard is Farniente's Chardonnay. This whole thing right here? Yeah. Hmm. And it's not organic or biodynamic, is it? No, luckily I've got lots of space between my vineyard and theirs. But it's interesting because you can see downtown Napa right here and the Napa River. And it's amazing how close you are. But when you get here, it is like you're in a different world. Absolutely. And, and it is, is about as picture perfect as you can get because this, this hill is very, very steep that you're butting up against. So it's just a, a neat, also a lot of equestrian properties nearby. So there's tons of farms. Just now, did you grow up on a farm in Philly? Oh, no, no. My dad was a baker. So oh, okay. we just grew so, up in a big house. I mean, I just love Coombsville for this exact reason where you can be downtown Napa and get a cup of coffee and 10 minutes later, you're out here. Yep. That's absolutely true. Spectacular. And so tell me about the contract that you would strike up with that person to say, I want to source your grapes. Oh my gosh. You're adorable to think that I have contracts. No, we <laughs> shake hands. We shake hands and um, I make wines uh, true to my own, um, style and i'm not going commercial and i and she and i have an arrangement we have an agreement and she's thrilled that i'm making the grapes she doesn't have that big of a vineyard that a, a big commercial winery would want it and so it's really fun it's synergistic for her to have her her beloved oak canyon ranch on our label and oh, that is awesome. you know it's it's we support each other that's and gosh that's exactly what it should be like yeah. So you mentioned I get to make my style of Cabernet. Walk us through the process of how you developed what your style of Cabernet would be and, and what was the influence out of all the Cabernets that you drank in the valley, up and down the valley. You know, what were some of the ones, and you don't have to name names, but, but I'd be curious is how you kind of gravitated to a flavor profile where you said, okay, that's the way I want to craft mine. So, uh, Basically, it was, you know, a trial and, and just tasting wines on my own. I, I gravitated to wines that were more old world style, less oak influence, you know. Okay. And so I, I learning from Alan Price at from Casa Nuestra, um, my start, uh, I, I, he introduced a, a, a style of winemaking that was unlike a lot of my new world winemaking neighbors. And that's where I picked the grapes a little earlier. You know, um, a lot of my neighbors are trying to get uh, ripe, jammy fruit flavors into the wine. And so they're leaving the vine, the grapes on the vine longer to develop those flavors. In turn, they get higher sugar, which gives them higher alcohol. And, and none of that appeals to me. 
I really want terroir represented in the wine. So I pick a little earlier uh, at 25 bricks, which is the sugar level. You know, um, you could also say 25% sugar. So uh, my new world winemaking neighbors are picking at 28 to 30 degrees bricks. So much higher sugar level, they get a higher alcohol. I'm going for a little lower alcohol or that's my goal. You know, I'm, um, and then I, 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 I use less new oak, a, a judicious use of oak so that it is uh, an enhancement and not a main flavor component. So I, it's just a style that appeals to me and then I, I work on that. And in fact, in um, 2019, I'm actually playing around with a little bit of American oak, uh, 50% new, 50% used um, from um, my neighbor who is the president of Silver Oak. And so he got me um, a couple of barrels, which is nice. Cool. Yeah. Which is kind of fun as well, because you're like, all I need is two barrels and they just have probably warehouses full of them. Right. Well, he was drunk and it was New Year's, but we won't go there. Yeah. It's just you and I, Stephanie. There's no one yeah, listening. That's right. You could just say we're in the cone it's, of silence. It's, it's a different forest than where Silver Oaks trees are, but it came, it came from their cooperage in Missouri. Interesting. And he so now, the, the theory that I've heard on American oak and French oak is that the French oak is more tightly grained. Um, the, American oak, the American oak is, is, has wider grains and as such, it, the wine can seep further into the barrel and then extract a lot more of that wood component. Yes. And, and um, so I didn't use two new barrels. I used one neutral and, and one new. Um, and then I'm aging it an extra year um, okay. to make it more my style for that oak to dissipate and for those, um, those big grippy tannins to fall out. So I want it to be, um, you know, my fine grain style. Um, so yes, American oak is a much younger growth tree and um, the grain is, is wide and, and it's more pungent because it, it, you know, the wine is seeping in like it, right. as you described, but, and French oak, and you get more oak flavor, you get more wood. Um, French oak is, is a tighter grain. It's more subtle. It's more um, uh, seasonings. Like I, I get vanilla and, um, you know, mm. uh, other, you know, like seasonings from my kitchen cabinet in the vanilla oak flavors. I like it. I think one of the hardest things I would imagine is okay, you're at 130 cases and every vintage obviously year in and year out is different because of what mother nature throws at you or what she doesn't throw at you. And so you're constantly adapting and pivoting. And, and so how do you, with, you have the end in mind that you talk about the Cabernet style that you want to present with the fine grain, you know, some fruit forwardness, but softer, more elegant old world. And yet a lot of that is dictated by the growing season. So, so how do you kind of course correct when maybe we don't have any rain this year and it's going to be leaner clusters or, or, or we have too much rain. I mean, how are you able to pivot and, and come up with a final product that consistently year in and year out is, is so fantastic? So basically I'm just trying to make the vineyard sing and, and consistency, consistency comes from your AVA. So Coombsville is always going to offer a, a certain ribbon of flavor through the wine that you can rely on. And Mother Nature is certainly going to influence it with with more or less rain or more or less sun or, or other things. Um, I just I just try to pick the vineyard at the 
same sugar level that gives me um, the, the terroir representation in the wine that I want. And then I used my recipe of barrels that I think complements the wine. So there might be some vintages where I would want to use um, more new oak or less new oak, depending on what the vineyard's giving me. But um, for the most part, it's I'm just trying to make the vineyard sing. I'm not trying to manipulate it to be something it's not. It I like just, it. Yeah, you're not trying, the manipulation thing I think is a key adjective right there. You're not trying to force something that isn't. Yeah, so I don't blend anything else into it like, oh, I need to soften it up or I need more fruitiness or, you know, and, and where someone else may add, um, you know, 10% Merlot to soften a, a, a cab or, you right. know. So I'm just going to make the one, I'm going to make the vineyard sing, which is why I'm, I'm doing a, an extra year of aging on one um, small batch from 19. Well, two, two questions in the studio is, is telling me that there's a rumor that you apparently made some Verdejo that we were unaware of. And they're wondering when you're gonna make that again because it was amazing. And then let's follow that up with a, a question on the 2020 vintage, which was uh, also something mother nature decided to make more interesting. And, but tell me about the, tell me about the Verdejo first. Well, it's, it's actually pronounced Verdello. It's not a Spanish name. So it, Verdejo. You're, um, go sorry, ahead. Fire them, write yeah. them up, put something in their file, Martin. <laughs> it's Verdello. Um, Verdello. And, uh, uh, and it was, it was a, a joint project with a friend of mine who was the director of winemaking at the Hess Collection, Randall Jackson, Johnson. And he has his own label called Califia and he does Verdello. And, um, and I got to play around and make it with him. So I did it two years in a row. I only made one barrel of my own, uh, all neutral oak. And, um, and I, I won't be doing it anymore. He, he wasn't able to gain access to that vineyard again. Um, I think it got sold or something. Um, but this year I'm, I'm, you know, I'm playing around with a, a little bit of stuff on the side, uh, like rosé. So the Cabernets are my uh, staple. Next year, I'm actually hoping to make a Cabernet Franc from uh, a beautiful vineyard in Pope Valley and then um, my Cabernet Sauvignon. So I'm going to do one of each and then uh, Rosé. Pope Valley to me is, uh, it's like uh, Dickens. It's a tale of two cities. It's a tale of two valleys. I mean, it was so big and prominent, you know, five decades ago. And yet if you drive over Hollow Mountain the first time, you're like, oh my God. And it's just whole thing <laughs> opens up before you. Unfold. It's incredible. Uh, and so it's, it's so beautiful back there. Yeah. And so the, the 2020 fires obviously had an impact on just about everybody. And you mentioned Rosé. So how are you, how, tell me the pivot and, and how you basically course corrected for 2020. So the Cabernet Franc that I was going to pick uh, last year was actually singed by fire. So it was uh, unsalvageable, like I couldn't pick it at all. Um, and then my Cabernet Vineyard in um, Coombsville had uh, enough smoke and ash landing in it that I wasn't comfortable making a Cabernet. Because, you know, with Cabernet, you have to soak with the skin to get color and tannin. And with the smoke and ash settling on, on the grapes for, uh, you know, a week, 
a, a couple of weeks, I, I, I didn't know how much would be absorbed into the, the plant and into the flesh. So um, I was able to harvest the vineyard and make rosé. So I'm calling it my ash kicking rosé. <laughs> and uh, it'll be bottled at the end of February. Um, and by the way, did you get that through TTB and cola and everything like that? I did. I did. Uh, and my friend, um, uh, Kathleen Monroe from uh, Star Marketing, she's, she's a wine lover, friend of mine, uh, did a very special label for it. And it has like a fire hose and 5% of every um, bottle sale will go to local fire victims. Um, again, um, giving never gets old and you're, you're an angel for it. So congratulations on making uh, lemonade out of lemons from last year. And, and all of us uh, love rosé at Cellar Angels. So we, we are looking forward to that. And if you haven't registered the domain ashkickingrosé.com, you should. Uh, just FYI. And if anybody steals that, don't you dare. Uh, but I do want to launch the, the final poll question of the evening and see what we have, because I actually don't remember this one. Okay, the last year's Cabernet that we featured was another stellar Cabernet. Uh, who did she name this wine after? Bob, Carol, Ted, Alice, oh Sam. My <laughs> Bob, Carol, Ted, and Alice, are you kidding me? <laughs> like it that's stephanie she she continues with my 60s theme from the beginning i was hoping someone would would correct that. we'll give extra bonus points to who can tell us was the female lead not you stephanie all right no. let's see if you can put that in the chat line um it would have been funny if, if i put them out of order would you have still gotten it would you know alice carol ted sam bob it, it just but maybe bob, yeah. No, I've, I've had enough wine. I probably wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, Carol, Ted, Alice. Beautiful. All right. We've got five seconds. Four, three, two, one. It is apparent that we do have quite a few Natalie Wood fans. Uh, <laughs> who was the female lead in Bob, Carol, Ted, and Alice, the 1969 um, continuation of a fantastic career by Miss Wood. But the correct answer is indeed Sam. So the wine we featured last year was named after Sam. And who is Sam? Sam is my son, um, who I am very proud to report is 20 years old and left Monday to join the army. Oh my goodness. Just landed in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Uh, well, Godspeed to Sam and uh, health and safety to him as well. And it's called Sam's Pick. My guess is Sam helped with the pick. Yep. Sam and I did it. Um, a, a bunch of um, friends from Florida. I was pouring wine for them at Wine Country Inn in St. Helena. And I got the call that there was a, a Cabernet vineyard that was available. And uh, I was actually pouring wine for them. And I took the call and I was like, I don't, I, I don't know how I could pick this vineyard tomorrow. And they were like, we'll help you. So they all showed up to help me pick, um, but they all left at 10 a.m. <laughs> and Sam, who was 15, um, I let him drive my pickup truck and I finished picking the whole vineyard on our own. Whoa. So, um, and again, another Sam's story of, of law breaking, which we won't share with the general public because it's just us, just Stephanie and I, Sam 15, driving the pickup. Nothing... Uh -huh. 
completely allowed in the valley. And Debbie Long is drinking. Well, oh, that's true. Debbie Long is drinking Sam's right. evening, and she says it's drinking just wonderful. Awesome, awesome. Well, Sam's doing very well in Fort Jackson. I have. He's been gone five days, and I have now found all of my cereal bowls and located <laughs> all of our house, which yeah, is all the cereal bowls so are underneath cool. the Pretty much they were. <laughs> guilty. So it's guilty. all good. Out of yeah. curiosity, I, I, I love, I love, love, love the dominant of red wine in your portfolio. Ever contemplate making a white? No. Not unless the opportunity presents itself um, spontaneously. I, I just don't have um, the energy for it. I, I'm making the red wines and that's my, um, the wine that I can invest time into. Uh, there are a lot of great wine, white wines out there that are easy to come and go, you know? And I just, I like, I like my investment. I mean, for my portfolio, for what I'm spending my time doing, I don't, I mean, if I have the opportunity to, to pick a Verdello, then, you know, it's a fun white wine. It was a fun, different varietal and I appreciated it offering it. I have the opportunity to make Rosé this year. I'm going to love sharing that. I think it's fabulous. I, I, I just, I'm getting ready to bottle it. So I was, I was finishing it today. That is exciting. It. Um, it, so yeah, no, I don't, I don't need, I mean, like I'll randomly have white wines, but no. That's fine. I mean, it would have to be something pretty special. And I would imagine if someone says, hey, I have this killer Chardonnay available, it wouldn't trip your trigger. You're looking for something more exotic or? It depends. If it's a small Chardonnay vineyard that um, has potential, I would have fun with that. Okay. Or, you know, but I, 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 it's just not something that I need to, that I, I drink it too fast, damn it. <laughs> there <laughs> is that those- problem. Yeah, I don't have to age it or anything, you know? Yeah. No, that is, that's a very valid point. Well, and speaking of drinking fast, my glass is almost empty, but our hearts are full for appreciation for you this evening. And, and by the way, that is not a screensaver behind Stephanie. It is a real fire. So uh, I could not <laughs> believe that she had this set up. Uh, next week, no, and in a couple of weeks, speaking of sip kits, don't forget, we're going to have two wines in there that we're going to be doing side-by-side analysis to begin our educational aspect component of the Friday night sips. We have a report device in there that is our gift to you. So you will not have to consume both bottles of wine that night. Uh, it is a pretty technologically, technologically cool stopper. And uh, Stephanie, it is always so good to see you. I can't wait to travel and see you again. Your hospitality, graciousness, creativity, and dedication to this craft is something that we are all in awe of. And we thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Thanks, Martin. I didn't actually get to tell you what my food pairing was that I came up with. Lay it on us. My food pairing 101. Okay, get, get, your, get your pens ready. So, so my most highly, the, I thought about what I love having my wine with, and it's essence of strawberry with pureed peanuts on pain blanc. It's peanut butter and jelly. Essence of strawberry with pureed peanuts. Yeah. Is there a certain type of bread, gluten-free, or just you're going to go white, white, wonder white, bread. white bread? White bread. White bread. White yeah. bread. I, I drink my wine with anything I'm, I'm eating, and it, it makes it better. I love it. Well, here it is, a, a fantastic Cabernet with fine-grained tannins suitable for the finest PB&J. 
Indeed. Thanks, Cheers, everybody. Man. Have a fabulous weekend. Yep. Take Thanks, care, everyone. Man. Be good to one another. Happy sip. Happy sip.